Welcome to a pumpkin spice episode of Connect This. We're excited. We uh, we already know that we're going to do a good show because Ezra has pre-rated it. Um, this awesome way to kick off the show. Uh, appreciate that. Um, we're going to be talking about a bunch of fun stuff today. We are going to talk about a quick update on what's happening with the ACP. Uh, we're going to talk about what's happening with the NTI letter of credit. Just dropped today. Uh, we're going to talk about what if you're building an MDU uh, apartment building and you want to make sure that all 39 units on five floors are well connected. What do you do? Talk about what's happening in competition with uh, some of the just announcements, you know, from the big cable companies and things like that. We've talked about that before. We're going to touch on it again. Uh, we're going to see what Doug thinks about the FCC on digital discrimination because most of the rest of us aren't experts on it yet. Uh, and we're going to talk a bit about that. And then anything that people want to throw out in the chat, uh, we might just be talking about as well. Uh, I'm Christopher Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Uh, this is one of the more professional uh, introductions. Don't hold it against me. It won't happen again for a while. Um, but we've got Kim McKinley there, who is also wearing a similar shade of fall, I guess, from Utopia Fiber. Welcome. Yeah. But mine has a cat on it. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. where's your cat, uh, Chris? This is my Wasco uh, but- shirt. Uh, always trying to compete, Chris, always trying to compete. Um, but it is, I am glad to be here. It was good to see you in person. Was it last week, Chris um, and Travis? So uh, now we're back. Let's do this. Yeah. Kim was in town for the Fiber Broadband Association. So uh, we got together. We had uh, some some great sushi uh, where uh, Travis ordered a bunch. I ate most of it. And then uh, Kim and Travis were able to get in a few before they got too many scratches on their hands from me trying to stop them. How do uh, I know that's Travis without a hat on? <laughs> nope. It's the shirt. It's a dead giveaway. Right here. Uh, yeah. What were we doing here? Uh, yeah. Okay. Welcome, Travis. Travis Carter from USI Fiber. It was great to see you in person. Good day, Mr. Mitchell. How are things? Things are going pretty good today. Are you enjoying our snowfall here in Minnesota? Yeah, I'll tell you, we did the Tribal Broadband Boot Camp last week. Uh, no, Ezra, we did not have any wings. Um, uh, we chose a place that uh, didn't have them, uh, but it was a rare occurrence and it was still pretty good. Still really good. Uh, but we went out last week to South Dakota for the Tribal Broadband Boot Camp uh, and uh, we got, I don't know, a couple inches of snow, uh, fierce winds, nine degrees. I was not prepared for that at all. But then when I got back to Minnesota and on Halloween, we got an inch or two of snow. I felt like I was doing all right by then. So I got a little acclimated in South Dakota. Nice. Cold and cold and snowy here already. So. Brutal, yeah. It is the second snowiest winter in Minnesota or second snowiest Halloween in Minnesota history. To give you a sense of what that is like, the snowiest day was what, like 30 inches? Mm-hmm. And then we got two. <laughs> and yeah. that is the second snowiest Halloween on record, apparently. Hey, but but we still had a couple hundred kids last night. I commended them on there. Couple hundred. Oh, yeah. And I, so I, I give out the big candy bars. So I get everybody coming to the house. So at Where that do rate, you, you buy these big candy bars. Go, go, Costco. I no. told myself I was going to do that, and then I and then I didn't. I backdoored the kids. We don't, so. but we don't want to hear about the cost of capital when we get full size candy bars. Yeah, over full size, and as, a, as a bonus for the second snowiest, I gave them a few of the little ones too. So nice. Kids were, kids were loving life last night. It was a lot of fun. And for people who aren't familiar, Letterkenny's got some great references to the debate over big candy or little candy on um, Halloween. Doug Dawson from CCG Consulting. How many trick or treaters did you get? We did not get enough, and so we also did the large candy bars, and we started giving out two because <laughs> <laughs> you got to get rid of them, right? So yeah, we 
I was talking to a neighbor and they had some candy that no one wanted. The peppermint patty was not handy. And I said, uh, you should tell kids that they could either pick out three pieces or they could close their eyes and just get a handful. <laughs> yes. You know, kids, if you're underneath, if you're less than 60, you don't even know what a peppermint patty is. right? So, yeah. <laughs> but I so, do have to say one thing here. No one told me this was pumpkin shirt day. So. You know, I did Do you not, have a uh, pumpkin spice gar um Grateful Dead uh shirt? Of course not, but I would still, <laughs> I would still like to know. <laughs> I thought he would have. Uh let's jump into the first thing, which is the ACP update. The White House had an announcement they would like to put six billion dollars more in the program and they would like to reform it in a way that I think would be helpful, um, which is getting rid of the device aspect of it. And um, I think that we need an actual working device program, but the ACP was not it. And so I would support that change. Uh, Doug, you want to remind us of any other particulars about that? Well, I, first off, you know, I thought six, I, they said that last until the end of 2024. And so I guess they're not counting on a whole lot more people signing up if you do the math, but that's correct. Uh, but, but, you know, but that's, you know, it's got to be done. The question is, is this Congress ever going to get anything done? So, you know, asking for it and getting it are two different things. We'll find out, I guess. So. Um, yep. Doug, we have a Speaker of the House now. So we are getting things done um, in Congress. Write that down. <laughs> we're going to quote you on the show 84. Seven about that. <laughs> no, Travis, if I remember correctly, you were one of the folks, and there's some folks who have used the device effectively. Uh, some of the tribal ISPs and others have gone out of their way to try to make it work. I feel like it's been involved in a lot of the scamming. Um, but Travis, I feel like you at one point were trying to figure out a device play as part of it. Where did you end up with that? Uh, we ended up deciding not to go. It just wasn't enough money to get anything of quality. And there's there's nothing worse than having a whole dumpster full of google chrome lap you know laptops and junk like that you know I, I wanted to give them something useful and they just couldn't couldn't make it happen right so um doug you want to you did a post today about the acp uh fraud and uh travis i think wanted to elucidate a little bit about it but why don't you walk us through what you talked about so none of us have to actually read your blog yeah that's good because no one really needs to do that so <laughs> um you know there's every time it comes time to renew any federal program the critics all come out and, and for 20 years they've been saying that lifelines full of fraud and so now they've been saying that about acp and my opinion is the majority of the intentional fraud is almost surely from uh cellular carriers and particularly cellular carriers who don't own networks i mean i'm not saying that verizon and at are doing it now there is there's misbillings in the file, but I, there's there's some really unsavory characters out there who sign somebody up and then just bill them forever, even though they don't get service. That's out and out fraud. They should go to jail. Um, I don't believe there's many landline ISPs who would do that. They wouldn't put their network in danger. So, um, so you know, they should just kick them out of the ACP program. The whole point of the, the whole point of this plant program is to get home broadband to students. That's really what they said it was for. And something like 65% of the money is going to cell phones. So I think we ought to just throw the cell phone guys out. It's not a very popular position with people who like cell phones. But uh, no, I, no, I do believe cell phones should have a subsidy. They just need a different program. I, I mean, I think getting cell phones to homeless people is awesome. But, uh, but that's not, this should not be the place. So. Now, Travis, do you want to just talk about for a second how this is challenging? Like, I, 
I do feel like there's a fair number of people who look at this sort of thing, like, look, how hard is it? Just, just get the money out there. And like, and you have the reality of then trying to track people's billing addresses and stuff like that. So uh, can you walk us through just some of the headaches that come along with making sure that you're uh, properly following uh, the rules for this program? Yeah, sorry. I was Googling. What do you say? Elucinate? I was trying to figure out what words you said. There. Elucidate. Okay. I think he I think he said hallucinate. Trap. Yeah, because I was I was trying to figure out what it meant. So, all you college educated kids. Um, no, I mean the, the the reality is what we try to do is put in a um a ninety day grace period. So traditionally the ISP it's it's like a a, a meter a, a parking meter where it always is trying it needs to be refed to get more minutes. But with the ACP component we tried to extend out 90 days and where, we're, where we've run into a few challenges is that people move out and they don't tell us so we're, we're having kind of a hard time accounting wise to to handle that so do they move out and not so they move out like or does somebody just take over the service is what you're just saying like yeah because we're people because we don't need equipment probably like you kim to mm -hmm. act it's an ethernet jack so we just enable the jack and disable the jack well, if, if they move apartments and don't tell us, that's where we're having kind of some problems. Is, is and again, these are onesie twosies, but I can see on a huge network, it could become a real, real challenge. Now, Doug's point, I wanted to. I think that's really helpful, Travis, because that's not what Doug's talking about. He separates between fraud. billing errors, yeah. right? Yeah, those are that's yeah. just the normal challenges. the The fraud it comes from, and it is the sort of thing that um, that drives me a bit crazy. But um, uh, they, you know, there's people that have uh, a home uh, service on on the ACP, and then they live in a low income neighborhood. They're walking down the street, and somebody comes up and basically like throws a device into their hand and was like, "Hey, do you want a free phone?" Da, 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 and like sign here and this and that and free government phones. And uh, next thing they know, they are walking off with some trashy device that's going to end up in that dumpster that Travis mentioned, and uh, they've lost their home ACP service because this fly by night entity has signed them up for it without them really knowing what was going on. Kim, you look like how you're ready. Well, I'm just wondering, how often does that really happen, that they're losing their home ACP service because it's, of these shady characters? It's more that they don't. They, it's more that that company is just going to bill for them forever, and, and they don't know about it. They're, they're not losing their home ACP most of them. Well, no, some know. are. I mean, if you, if you are. Write, yeah, on the NDIA listserv, like, we get a some fair are. amount of people who are then – and that's the thing is that, like, you've got a limited amount of capacity from local digital equity groups who are trying to work yes. with these folks, and then they spend their time trying to get that person back on and working, and it's just a giant suck of resources that's unnecessary – because of these people that are scamming the program. And it comes from Lifeline. Uh, and and it drives me nuts because I feel like this is not the kind of scam the FCC is really trying to crack down on. Right. Well, Ezra said it in the comments. It's shady MVNOs. These are guys who resell cellular. They don't own a cellular network. You know, they're they're just reselling minutes and, and they give out crappy stuff and then get the subsidy. So, yep. Now, Juan asks if there's a government is offering an incentive for ISPs to offer ACB. It's actually called the sledgehammer of if you take money, you Zero. must offer it. <laughs> well, no, like, there's two things, right? Like, I mean, there's yes. no real incentive, but there's a bunch of programs that say if you want this money, then you have to participate in ACP. But, you know, Travis does a lot of work for each ACP customer. He doesn't get a penny for that work. So, yes. No. Yes. And then the, the bigger problem is that some of these, so let's just, I mean, the, sorry, sorry, Ryan, I'm flip, flip, flipping things around. Um, 
the uh, the bigger issue, I think, is one that we haven't necessarily see resolved, which is when the ACP runs out of money, you've got you've got um, ISPs that have signed paperwork with the federal government saying that they will offer this low income program. And I don't know that it is covered what happens when they stop getting reimbursed from the federal government. They might be required to continue offering that service at that price, which could is would be bad for Travis. It could be ruinous for rural ISPs. Uh, yes. and, and some other folks that have a high concentration of folks that are on it. What you're trying to say is there's a federal program with confusing rules that could kill you. That's the shock. That's never happened. <laughs> That's never happened. I don't know. I, I think I think Google's approach is the best one so far, and I've been considering adding it myself, doing a 100 megabit tier for 30 bucks, and that's just the end. I, mm -hmm. I, think, I, think, I think that might... might they, they're smart kids over there at Google. I'll give them that's, that. That's do the that, fiber. Do now. that. Do that. And the not fiber. Take, you hmm? would do that, Travis, and not take ACP. We just give it for thirty dollars. Well, what? What? No, just basically <laughs> when ACP runs out, just turn them into thirty dollars customers. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But then, but then you would have that collection headache that you're trying to avoid, Travis. Right? I mean, yeah. I thought that was a really useful discussion previously. No, no, but I would go back to then. It's all prepaid. Mm -hmm. it, it would turn you because then the systems would automatically turn you off if you didn't pay. Right. So do you, are you a prepaid customer? Like, is that what you do with your, most of your customers, Travis? Or are they prepaid yeah. before? Yeah. They, we're, okay. we're, a park, we're a parking meter. You pay for your 30 days. And then when your next 30 days comes up, pay or your, or you get a nice splash page that says, please pay. Splash pages are nice. <laughs> <laughs> Kim, I'm I'm curious. This wasn't on the rundown, but I just just thinking about it. We're I want to talk about competition next, and I I meant to ask you in the pre-show and warn you about this, but I didn't. Mm -hmm. um, in California, that we now know all the different entities that have applied for grants. You've been working with the Golden State Connect Authority, and I believe 36 counties that are part of that have put in some funds. And I'm wondering if you were hyperventilating at all when you saw all the work that's lined up for you to consult on. <laughs> I uh, I was on some of those calls when I was looking at all of those plans. And when we were submitting all of them, I'm like, but you only need one marketing plan, but you need designs from uh, 36. So uh, I kind of rubbed that in with my team. But uh, no, it, I I think it's going to come up to uh, what happens in California. And I don't were, were they supposed to be announced or was it like I heard that it, they somebody they found that they were released for like an hour or two? And then came back. I thought we know of all the places, like we know of everyone that has applied. I thought that was public knowledge. Yeah. Oh, I Cali think that there was a time California. where other information got out too. Okay. Yeah. Cal California yeah. post grant applications. So that, so that's, I think it gets out because of that. But to, I mean, I haven't looked through, but, um, you know, 36 rural counties in California, um, you know, we're talking about, I believe, a total population in those counties, uh, you know, of like one and a half to two million. Presumably not every single one of them is going after all of the population uh, to be served. But still, I mean, this is a program that could well more than double or triple the number of open access customers on municipal fiber. That's pretty wild. It will be interesting to see how it all plays out. But we all know you can put 36 applications in, but how many will you really receive? I think it's really comes down to the, when those days, when the day is granted or people who want them, that I think I'll start hyperventilating. I just hyperventilate on what's today, Chris. I don't focus on what's in three months. <laughs> A lot can change in three months around here. <laughs> you don't even know if you're going to last that long. <laughs> really exactly. Clear. She has, no reason to panic. she has no reason to panic. They're only going to approve 33 of them. 
Yeah, Marketing plan still the same, guys. Marketing plan still the same. I've driven through a fair amount of these counties. It's going to be interesting work to to get um yeah. to get around the folks. The work that's already been done in the very northern part of California is is remarkable. Yeah, I think that the county that really shows how rural um, California is is Alpine County. I think they have three hundred homes in it. Um, and how do you make a business case for any private? entity to only service 300 homes is really hard. So um, I didn't know California was so rural until uh, we started uh, working with RCRC and Golden um, State Connect a few years back, but a lot of rural areas in California, a lot. I think only 200 of those homes require crampons to approach though. So you should be all right. <laughs> all right. Talking about competition, um, there was a good article from Light Reading from Jeff Baumgartner that I wanted to share. I was talking about Comcast primarily, and I, I thought it was interesting. Comcast shares are slumping a bit. Um, you know, I'd been uh, told recently by an equity analyst that uh, that the, the, the basically the premium that Wall Street assigns to Charter Spectrum and Comcast Xfinity um, has declined significantly on the signs that basically they think these companies will face more competition than they have in the past. Uh, that you know the era of cable being untouchable and having a moat is beyond us. Um, uh, see, uh, but at the same time, it had some re interesting stats that I thought were worth sharing. Um, Comcast is on pace to meet or exceed its goal to, to build this network to 1 million new homes and businesses in 2023, and then accelerate that further in 2024. Um, and also that they are, um, they're, they're launching Doxis 4.0 in Colorado Springs, uh, an interesting place where you've got uh, some uh, municipal fiber going in as well as other private investment that's open access. So now Comcast is uh, is responding there. And um, that Comcast has completed the mid-split upgrades. I'm on one right now. Um, and so I'm actually regularly getting more than 200 megabits per second upload uh, when I do a speed test. And when I go to Dropbox, I'm regularly getting 100 megabits a second or roughly a little bit more or less, which is where I feel like Comcast just seems to manage its Dropbox connections uh, because on, on Travis's network, I get more than that. So, um, so anyway, that was interesting. About, let's start talking about Comcast briefly, Doug. Anything? that or actually let me say kim i saw you just sort of reacting there what was your reaction my reaction is that i mean is is big telco untouchable i don't know um but I, my reaction was when you you just really did that was are we only going into direct markets to compete like we have mesa that everybody ran to compete to now colorado springs everybody's going to compete there 100 percent. can we can we just go into every area of the country and actually no. roll out no i mean everyone? this one this is the dynamic, and I, I want I want anyone to correct me if I'm wrong. I think you could make a bet for chicken wings that uh, those are the serious bets that um, uh, homes that have one fiber today are more likely to get two fibers than are homes that have zero fibers today to get one fiber. I think that's true. Uh, there's I actually true. one of the places is um, um, the several cities in Michigan, Lansing is one, that there's three fiber providers in some neighborhoods. I know someone who has three fibers in their back of the lot. It's, what's, I, it doesn't make any sense as an investment. But, you know, back to Comcast, they are doing everything in the world to paint themselves pretty. That's the million new connections. But they're going to lose a million new customers as well. They're losing net customers because they're losing them to the fiber builders. They're losing them to the wireless uh, cellular guys. And so they're barely keeping their head above water. The reason their stock got devalued is easy. Up until 
literally one year ago, they were adding net almost a million customers every quarter, and they've been doing that for 15 years. And now they went to now this last quarter they lost something like sixty thousand or some, some small number, but they they're not growing anymore. Their value was I raise my prices every year and I add a million customers every year. That's why I'm worth a lot of money to stockholders. They just lost one of the two things. And last year they didn't raise their prices five; they raised them three. So they even lost two thirds of a third of that. So uh, they because their prices are now. Travis, you know what their price is now? Mm. $102. Huh? Did I tell you? No, what price is that? $100 broadband. That's so, if you buy their 300 megs and you pay for their modem, it's $102. Mm-hmm. So that's their basic price now if you don't have a special. And so they're, they're, they can't keep raising their prices. They're getting topped out of the market. So, uh, so they, they deserve to have their stock price come down. Now, they are still incredibly profitable. They're just not getting that premium valuation, and of course, all, and all these companies care about is the stock price. So they, you know, they're panicking. So, any other reactions, Travis? Uh, I don't know. You know, everyone talks about the speed. Everyone talks about the bits. Just try calling their customer service one time. That hasn't changed. Right. Right. But so AT and T is adding a bunch, you know, like on um, the fiber. Um, uh, but let me, uh, let me rephrase it to a different direction, which is to say, you know, Comcast is adding a million homes. Um, my sense is like charter spectrum. They're mostly adding those in areas where people don't have an option. Right. I mean, they're taking government money, public dollars, and they're investing in areas. And so we're still not actually seeing Comcast or charter go head to head, which I just think is interesting. None of us expect that to happen. But in a working market, they would be going head to head. They'll never do it. Yeah. So the um, the other thing with this, then I think is is um, is this temporary? If we look back in four years, has the market reconcentrated to the point at which Comcast again um, is able to probably not expand in the way that it has in the past, but will be able to uh, raise prices because people won't have a competitive option because we will have reconsolidated and divvied up the markets. I don't think so. I think they're going to continue to. Now they're barely breaking even. They're going to start losing customers. All these fiber over builders are going to add up to them one of these days. I mean, they're going to catch up to them, and and so, and in those markets, they can't charge the hundred and two dollars. They're going to. They're always giving out the special prices. That's how they compete against you, Travis. Right? They mm-hmm. give you a special price, and so, uh, so that costs them a fortune to give out those special prices. So they're 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 just not going to get their head back. They're going to continue to be profitable. They're never going to get back to that premium valuation again. You know, they're going to have, if they want to do it, they're going to have to build fiber. Doxus 4.0 is not going to get them there. You don't think so? I do not because people are going to still think fiber is better. And fiber is better, actually. So there you go. Well, yeah, fiber is better, but I mean, like Comcast worked well against Verizon, you know, they, and, you know, maybe it was Verizon's incompetence, but, uh, you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure if a person's getting, you know, a reasonable price for fast up and down and they don't know why it's not working and they think it might be their internal stuff. Uh, I, I don't know if those, the experience two companies, is cool those two companies came to a market equilibrium 15 years ago and they, Verizon has a very big share of those markets with Fios and, and so, you know, they lost. The Verizon. Verizon took a ton of their customers. They just did it a long time ago and forgot about it. No, I didn't think that was the case. I thought Verizon was still at 30% in a bunch of those markets and frustrated. I think Verizon topped out at 40% in a lot of places where it's head-to-head with Comcast. 
Well, that's possibly true. But again, call their customers. We'd have to look at the markets. Call, call, call their customer service. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but, but let's not lose sight of it. You have 40% of the market. I mean, you still have a big piece of it, you know, depending on how many competitors are there. Now, I mean, remember, the market is not 100%. A lot well, of that's the thing. Buy anything. Yeah. So it's if, they have 40, if they have 40%, if they have 40%, Comcast has 42%, they're 50 yeah, no, but right. let's let's be clear. I think some people have taken the wrong message away because Ezra says it's amazing that Comcast can lose so much money and still be wildly profitable. Comcast is wildly profitable. Um, you know, like profitable. yeah, I mean, yes. we're talking about like quarterly profits and the multiple billions. Yeah. yeah. And um, the the issue with their stock value is whether one expects that they will be three billion in profits this quarter, three point one billions in profits the next quarter, three point three billion in profits the following quarter. That's the issue with our with the Wall Street system is not. Whether or yes. not you're profitable, it's whether or not you can be expected to reliably increase your profits and thus, yeah. you know, um, make my 401k <laughs> pop so that I can get out of this crazy job. I mean, what? <laughs> oh, Shush, you love your job. I think what you're going to see is that you're going to see these um, big telcos partner with each other uh, to try to k- kick the new entrants out of the market. I well, think you're ex- going to see. Well, they're going to buy yeah. them, right, Kim? That's my expectation. I don't I even know if they're going to buy them. I think that they, they're just going to like... I think the enemies that are on the like the home front right now, I think that they're going to have an alliance behind the scenes um, to kick the new providers out. So they, they at least they can keep their current market share. Well, hold on. Who, who are the new providers, though? Like, I mean, just a new entrant who wants to come yeah, let's the talk about the, and overbuild. Travis, you've got one to the north and one to the south, right? I mean, like, you you know who we're talking about. I mean, I forget yeah, what their yeah, names are. Yeah, but, but yeah, but they'll but they're they're going to they're going to they're going to flame out of their initial, you know, CapEx. They're going to realize the OPEX is so high. They're not going to, they're going to make a, they're going to get a few thousand customers and that'll be the end of it. So I'm not sure who, who this, this, this big competitor is coming in are in the major. Well, market. say you have like a T-Mobile who's coming into some of these new markets, right? Uh, like yeah. who has the capital behind them and they're going against a Comcast or a Charter or a Spectrum. Um, I think like, so I think a Comcast and Spectrum would uh, like, team together behind the scenes to kick a T-Mobile out. Um, they're the going to have a hard time doing that because they're well capitalized. Now, there's a strong rumor T-Mobile wants to buy Frontier. That would be interesting. Interesting. That would be interesting. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah I just don't I think mean, in, in yeah. the current economic situation, I think the dream of having a whole bunch of small new entrants isn't going to happen. It's going to be the big guys fighting over the market. So are we just seeing the hangover then of Travis of like of private equity investments that were made before the interest rate rose in terms of these these companies that are jumping in and and, and building? I mean, we all know that companies like so there's companies that have only made announcements and have broken ground in a few places. Right. Like I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about uh, these companies like Point Broadband. Uh, they just walked away from three out of four of the awards that they got from the state of Michigan. Right. And um, and they are in a bunch of states. Oh, they're a big operation. Are we expecting them to stop expanding, to sell it to someone else? Like, you know, any sense of what to expect from well, those? Well, give, give me the data points. What do you mean big operation? Well, Point Broadband is, I don't know, I'm going to guess like, you know, like roughly 60 to 100,000 subs across four or five states at this yeah, point, I'm okay. guessing. Yeah, they'll they'll do fine. They'll keep expanding. It's the... It's it's the zero to ten thousand subscriber guys that are going to really be struggling. Now, someone and I don't know anything about the specifics of Point Broadband, but the reason they probably turned those grants in right now is the high cost of interest. They can't afford to take them. I mean, until this until the interest rates come down. As soon as interest rates come down, they'll jump right back in and expand again. 
I mean, the, the interest rates are killing investments, right? Tra I mean, Travis. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, no. If, if interest returned to the interest rates from a year and a half ago, this, this whole industry would be booming again. Okay. What if it goes down to a normal like history and we're at 3.5, 3 3.54% on a, for and a that, long time before that, that would work as well. Cause you that could, off, work. You, you could offset that with a four to $5 rate increase and you right. can, and, and you can offer and your golden. Exactly. Yeah. But at, at nine and a half, 10% interest and banks scared to loan money like crazy because they don't know where this is heading. We're all dead in the water. The right. small, the small operators. So All right, I so would, I would guess that's why they had to turn the grants and they probably didn't have a choice. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Let me just say that I just made that up about point broadband. I, I mean, if I, if uh, someone, I don't have strong knowledge about how many subs they have, but from what I remember and the different operations that they've purchased and whatnot, and I do know that they walked away from three out of four awards from the Robin program in Michigan. That's why they were on top they, of my head. They probably have more customers than that. They've bought places like Bristol, Virginia system and uh, Opelousa. They own quite a few ISPs. So. I mean, I, I've, always, I've always said it would take 5,000 subscribers to be healthy. I think nowadays you need closer to 10. You know, okay. to, to at least have some growth. I'm not talking wild growth, but just some growth every year. And I'm actually starting mentally raising that closer to 20, Travis. Are you no really? Way. really? My, number, my number used to be 10, but it's starting to feel pretty okay. hard. Why is that, Doug? Uh, the inflation is catching up to us. Salaries, uh, just all the stuff mm -hmm. is higher yeah. than it used to be. So, What's the last time you saw any of your costs go down? Yeah, so... Uh, especially the, those, ex the especially those, ex era. especially those expensive marketing plans. Yeah, <laughs> they're very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> The next topic is uh, we are suddenly uh, have the opportunity to guide a five-story, 39-unit building. Um, if you listen to the Community Broadband Bits podcast from this week, which is a killer episode, I'm looking forward to Travis's accolades when he uh, listens to it. Um, uh, we, anyway, we talk a little bit about this, and um, well, I'm assuming, I hope it didn't get edited out, uh, but, <laughs> but um, the question is, is uh, do you recommend that someone's building and particularly like this is a nonprofit entity that is building this. They're trying to like, they want to make sure they have high quality access, but they don't have, you know, a ton of money to do it. Uh, is it a matter of as the building is getting built, do you run fiber everywhere? Do you run conduits for future proofing? Do you stick to cat six? How, how would you recommend someone uh, wire uh, a building like this? Yeah. Me specifically. Yeah. Go for it, Trev. Okay. Uh, how limited is their budget? Uh, that's the part, like, I'm not really sure, like, for me, like, it's hard to say because, like, what does it normally cost to wire a building? That's, I'm going to guess that, like, you've got electricians that are already in there. You're running some some low voltage and whatnot. I'm going to guess that, um, you know, it's it kind of falls into the other costs and it's so small you don't even notice it. But is that, is that a wrong assumption on my part? Eh, 200 to $300 per unit, depending, to get it wired up. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, at this point, I would do, you know, Cat 6. And I think you, you would, you would be very happy with the results. Um, I think the mistake that a lot of people make is they start to think there's a wireless solution that will work. I would run away from that as fast as you can. So you are not just immediately fiber to the unit. You know, we've, uh, we've wired 70,000 units in our day. We have pitched fiber to every single one of them. And we have we have we have exactly zero fiber connections in any in any multi dwelling units. And and the, the fundamental issue is is you need electronics to light them on the other end. 
So we, we run cat six, you can do POE. So you can power your, you know, your in unit wireless device and you can get up to 10, you can get up to 10 gigabit. So I guess my theory is 10 gig should carry us well beyond my career. So the next person's going to have to figure out in a hundred years, how to put fiber in that building. Okay. So Are you don't need, you're not dying in a, for a hundred years. I'm just going really <laughs> yeah. to this. Yeah. to explain that in plain English for folks. He's putting the electronics in the basement mm -hmm. that he can wire all the units from one location. Yeah. Boom, right. So, yeah. And that's what you would recommend, Doug. And it's economical. I would say that is, but it depends on where you're at because is there any ISPs around there who want to serve your building? It's the first question. Because some places there's no ISPs who want to do it. And that's so that they're in the middle of nowhere wiring it doesn't do you any good if you can't get fiber to the front of the building, right? And so um and or are you in a market like a major city where four guys might come and knock on the door, I might just put the empty conduit in uh, if I thought ISPs would do the wiring work, they would spend a hundred bucks or they would put in the cat six. Um, but, you know, because not every ISP has the same model. Some of these bigger fiber ISPs do try to wire the buildings. They do run the fiber up through the hallways and all that kind of stuff. So, so you're not quite sure what your ISP's preference is. But we were only talking a third, we're talking a 35 unit building though, right? Yeah, that's a pretty yeah. small building. That's a small yeah. building. If, if this was a 350 unit building, it would be a different conversation. Yes, yeah. Well, and I have to throw it in there from an open access perspective, unless you want to um, choose one provider um, to offer service, you have to put um, an ONT per unit and run a fiber per unit on an open access network so they can choose their own provider depending yes. on how that model works. So it really works differently. I mean, because Travis's model works if you're just the ISP going in, absolutely, because you can offer that service. But if you want to offer choice, like on the Utopia network where we have 15 providers, you're forced to run a fiber per unit. Well, my wait, because I'm confused in that if you have, uh, let's just assume for a second, you have one ethernet port per unit. You just, um, don't you control it beyond that? And then you can just- Depends on- yeah, but it depends on how big that that device is, because um, we usually only put like a certain amount of ONTs attached to that. Um, so what can that ONT um, really make happen? Like, so if we have a 10 gig ONT, you might only be able to get a gig for that, that kind of service. Um, or do we put a bigger device if they have a telco room? Because some of these areas don't even have a telco room and you have to put the device on the side of the building as well. You hope they have a telco room, though. So hold on, right. Kim, are, you, are you talking the in-unit experience or are you talking fiber mm -hmm. to the building? No, you could do it. So you could do you could do in-unit. A lot of the, the some of these new um MDUs we're seeing are wanting a device per unit again, just because of our open access. Um okay. interesting. Yeah, they because they don't want to uh, what we're seeing from the MDU perspective or, or HOA perspective is they want the they want their residents to have the ability to have the service, but they don't want to manage what they're getting per unit. So they want them to be able to pick whatever service provider and whatever service uh, tier they want. We had, we had a lot of pushback from trying, you know how you've seen some apartments where you put like the big telco, it looks like a, mm. um, like a circuit breaker box. We got a lot of pushback from, from buildings, which is why we ended up with the ethernet or, or copper solution. Cause it's just a Jack and there's nothing in the unit. So I guess it might depend on who you're working with. Yeah. Um, 
there's, a, there's a good future episode, yeah. Chris. We should talk about open access because I'm um, I'm curious well, about how that well, actually. Well, we're we're seeing the real difference here because Travis has no interest in being open access. He's going to do the whole building. <laughs> well, but yeah. see, the All thing right. is, is, is we've done open we've done open access in certain buildings, um, but it's open access where the landlord is the ISP, and we basically just uh, we assign a different VLAN. So we don't need a different equipment. So it would be interesting to see technically how that works. Right. And also we're, we're skipping over one other thing where I think Kim's solution of uh, fiber to an ONT closer to the unit in the unit potentially gives you the option of multiple service providers sharing that fiber. Whereas I don't know that you can do that in the same way uh, over Ethernet. And I think that there is a mm -hmm. potential future where people have a single wire going to their unit and they want multiple service providers uh, over that in ways that this is sort of what... Um, what their uh, the vision is for some of the uh, open access SDN folks, software defined networking folks, and so that gives you a little bit more potential there. I think. Yeah, we don't need to get too nerdy, but I don't. The, if it's fiber or Ethernet, should that shouldn't matter. But we, not. but it depends on how things are deployed. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Could, I mean, even on Travis's connection, you can separate people electronically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But is that still so? The, the question that I have on that is whether that's still just with like the um, um, the tagging, the VLAN tagging, or yes. if there's a way to do it. Because one of my, so the, the entry point folks, the reason that they've put a lot of time into their effort, as I understood it, one of the things that they would like to do is to make sure that service providers are not able to see what the others are doing, whereas VLAN tagging is pretty transparent and doesn't offer you the same kind of security. So I, I think we are getting too geeky. We're in way over my head. I can tell you that right now, but well, see, that's, that's where why, these this conversations is why are happening. Kim, this is why Kim likes to be the open access guy, because they can't see it. She's the only one that can see it. And she's not yeah. high on the feed. Yeah. Yes. So you're absolutely well, right. Yeah. 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 No, we, we, we can get super nerdy if you want, but there, there are certainly technical ways to do it. But yeah. as, as there are as many different languages in this world, there's as many different technical approaches that you can do. So, yeah. so I like, I mean, if I was to sum it up from what Travis had said and what some of our comments said, I want to go back to what Mike McCarthy put in there also. But um, basically, you know, a, a good piece of copper, cat six, cat seven um, uh, to the unit. Uh, is is one good way to go. I kind of feel like I would like to encourage uh, conduit just to make sure it's easy in the future if anything changes or you want to have multiple wires to that. I, I do feel like that is something that might be useful. Travis? Yeah, but you can't use the word we have limited budget and... Yeah. How much is conduit though? That's what I don't get. Like, I mean, how much? I don't really have a sense of like how expensive is it when you're building a brand new building. Don't, don't all building? I assume all new buildings have old com space. I have lots of com space. Like, I have a hundred year old house I've been renovating, and like, there's no room to put anything. But in a new building, they don't they don't have space for this. You, you know where we not always, not always, Chris. You would I, think they would, but they I, don't I, all I, think about I this. Might not have thought about it. Yeah, most of ours are in the laundry room. That's where most of our stuff's at. So you, you'd be amazed. And every building is different. Mm -hmm. you, so you really have to be able to do it on a case-by-case -case basis. But. Now, you'll go to some places where you can't get power to where you need it to be. I mean, oh, yeah. No, we have a, a full-time electrician that runs around just running power. Right. And God forbid it's on banked power. I've told you that story before where the our network would fail every night at 6 p.m. Yeah, they turn <laughs> the light off. In the, uh, in, in the laundry room. We have that same problem, Travis. We How long did it take you to figure it out? A long time. Yeah, exactly. It took a month <laughs> to figure that out. Yeah. 
Yeah, they would. Y'all, y'all didn't see National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, huh? <laughs> I, I wish. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, no, I, I. I mean, again, limited budget and maximum flexibility don't go together. So if if you know two hundred, maybe three hundred dollars a unit in a thirty-five mm-hmm. unit building, you could probably get pretty creative. But then there's always the tech creep, where you know what do you really need? And I think, you know, like a Cat 6 or 6A or 7, it's going to buy you the next 30 years. Is that good enough? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and then there's a, I just want to highlight this um, from uh, Mike. Um, AT&T claims ownership of the fiber installed into each unit for these sites. Now, yep. my understanding is, is that internal wiring for MDUs is now the property of uh, the MDU owner. And that's not up for debate like- anymore. Unless the, unless the MDU owner agreed to let AT&T own it, which they're yeah. completely allowed yeah. to do. Yes. We have a 10-year exclusive on what we pay to put in, yes. or we won't put it in. Because otherwise, what happens is you put it in, and then tomorrow, CenturyLink is using all your stuff. Right, but I thought that's I thought the FCC had rendered those agreements no. non-enforceable. No. no. Unexisting. They can't. They can't do that and and not tell the apartment owner that they have. A lot of Comcast used to have an exclusive and not even tell the apartment owner they had an exclusive. That's what they got rid of. You're allowed to negotiate an an exclusive as long as the apartment owner is doing his eyes wide open. And they do it all the time still. But that's a very different situation because he's going like, well, what if I want someone else in here like Travis? So he may not go for it. So. Well, if there's, one, any, uh, if there's any lawyers who would like to correct any of us with uh, more definite yes. citations and such, we would welcome it. Uh, but, so, but again, that's the existing wire. It doesn't stop you from putting another wire in there, even when it's exclusive. If, and if do you think that lawyers it. watch this show, Chris? I mean, come on. We might find out. I mean, you know, Juan is, looking, Juan's an impressive guy. He might have a law degree as well. <laughs> but, but Chris, you got to ask yourself, why wouldn't we use the existing wire that was Are in we there? sure that Takey McTaker is not a lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, you know, who wants to use the existing cabling that's in there? Generally, hell. Well, this is what this is what Baltimore, uh, what the Project Waves folks do, and like that's the thing is that my understanding is, and it might be because their building owners have not given an exclusive, but they are able to uh, take, uh, they can they can repurpose uh, the cable, the HFC um, line, and use it for their own purposes. Uh, without any legal challenge. Yeah, it, but then there's the practical thing. If, if a Comcast tech goes in there and sees this, snip, yeah. re-plugs re- you. I'm telling you, if you can avoid using any existing cable plant, avoid it at all costs. I mean, we, we tried, uh, the LinkedIn user talked about VDSL. We tried that. What a nightmare. What a nightmare dealing with all that old junk. You're just... Honestly, buy a spool of, of Ethernet cable, run it to the unit, you'll sleep at night, your customer will be happy, and off you go. Yeah, and I, because the yeah. competitors do some nasty things, Chris. Oh, they do some yeah. nasty things. When, uh, like, we've seen handholds that were submitted over that were supposed to have, like, open conduit um, throughout the neighborhoods and stuff. I mean, they will do whatever to remove the competition. It's not just because there is a law out there that people are going to abide by it. They're not. <laughs> All right, that is a that is a good point regarding uh, the mm-hmm. um, the reality versus uh, this is a, this is what Travis and I sometimes refer to as the back to school reality of um, <laughs> you've got the the, the textbook and then you've got the real life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Um, and yeah, you go, also, you, I would just say if, if you, you got to find the Comcast tech and go, well, here's the, the rule that said you couldn't do it. They're like, yeah, yeah, buzz off, kid. Uh, also, if Takey McTaker is a lawyer, great name, uh, appropriate. Um, <laughs> the uh, the other piece of it is what Travis had said. Like, I do feel like this is something we see with Wisps and with the kinds of folks that are trying to like get up and going. I feel like is is, is that that tension between am I going to pay for something now or am I going to pay for it later? And Travis is clearly in the camp of let's pay for it now and save ourselves headaches down the road. Uh, which generally works out better if you can afford that cost of wiring that building and things well, like that. Well, the thing is, is you you can't afford not to because you live and die by your 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 social media scores. And if you put garbage tech in a system, you're going to get garbage results, mm-hmm. and you're going to get eaten alive on office. And you're going to get eaten alive, and you're going to be out of business before you you got in business. Yeah. So. That's All right. Well, speaking of getting in business, we've been worried that the letter of credit will be stopping uh, smaller ISPs from getting into these awards and things like that. Um, there was a new announcement this morning that NTIA uh, has new alternatives for uh, the what they call subgrantees, which is uh, for the the language. Uh, for everyone. States are getting grants from the federal government for the BEAD program, $42.5 billion. They are then going to subgrant that to ISPs that are going to build networks in primarily rural areas. And uh, there was previously a letter of credit requirement to access that money, which uh, is something that is harder for small ISPs. It is ruinous in the sense, I said that too many times today now, but it is um, really bad in that an ISP that has a letter of credit has to take a bunch of their capital out of operation, meaning that they have a bunch of money sitting in the bank that they cannot use to put plant in the ground. And that is uh, not super helpful. So a lot of people have pushed NTIA to say, get rid of this. This is not helpful. We need a better way of doing this. NTIA has responded uh, by saying, we still think it's really important to have these safeguards and offering some alternatives, including performance bonds and a few other changes. Doug, you had all of five um, uh, inter- uh, uh, minutes in which you were distracted to go over these changes. And I would say you were not super impressed. Well, first off, they have expanded it. It used to only be a class B type of bank could do it. And it would- and there's places where there aren't even any of those, like in a county, so like, or even a half of a state. So they've expanded that to include credit unions and other places. So that's a minor improvement, but it's still, you got to buy the darn thing. Um, what they also are allowing now is whether you get a, you can also get a performance bond, which is cheaper than a letter of credit. So that's certainly better, but you're still spending a lot of money out of your own pocket in order to accept the grant. So that still only gets rid of half the problem. And then the third fix is for both of those, both of those methods, you can step it down. So if you need five million and then you do part of your project, you could lower your letter of credit, you can lower your performance bond to four million, three million, two million. That sounds great, but that's not how bond performance bond companies work, and that's not how bank letter of credits work. You would have to go in and renegotiate that over and over and over again, and they're probably going to hit you with a big fee to renegotiate because. Those a letter of credits is actually a is it actually a you know financial document. I mean it's it's a it's a it's a it's actually a you know like a loan. And so you know you you don't just go in and say I'd like to lower my loan now. You have to go to the bank and they go to the credit committee and they look whether you should allow you to do that. I mean that sounds good to allow you to lower it. The practical reality is that those things are not easy to lower. I mean, they're performance bonds. You buy it 
the companies who get those do not want you to keep coming back every six months and go, I'd like to lower that a little bit. They'll go, sure, $100,000 fee, we'll talk about it. And I mean, because that's, you know, that's just not what they do. So it's an improvement, but it's not a giant improvement. Um, well, so. I, I'm glad to, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's helpful to hear that, Doug, at that level of detail. I, I will say that I did reach out to uh, two of the different folks who have been leading the effort to uh, fix this. And uh, both of them said that on first glance, they uh, felt like uh, they could work with us and, and, and that sort of a thing. So um, I do think it is an improvement. Um, I think we, we continue to stand by our, uh, our um, I think, response, which I think the four of us are united on, which is that this is not necessary. Uh, what is necessary would be actually enforcing rules down the line. Because I think what we are expecting to see is a lot of rules that will be intimidating, uh, and some ISPs will, will, may, will what I might call scam my way, scam their way through, and then expect not to face enforcement down the line if they're not upholding the requirements. Because that's what we've seen with so many other programs is a bunch of rules that are not actually um, filed, uh, followed up on, in part because Congress doesn't want a budget for staff to be enforcing this stuff. Yeah, uh, I mean. There were ISPs who were definitely not going to pursue B because of the letter of credit. If they can find a way to make it work with the performance bond, which is cheaper, that might draw a few folks into it. So that's the folks who probably told you they could work with this. That can be a lot cheaper. Again, it's a lot cheaper. A letter of credit or a performance bond, again, goes by your history. If you've had a lot of bonds, you can get a cheap bond. If you've never had one before, it's very expensive. So... <clears throat> You know, because, you know, it's essentially a document of trust. It's an insurance policy that someone's writing you that you're not going to default. So it's very expensive if they don't know you. So, uh, but it, but if you have a history of having those bonds, it could be a, not too bad. You know, if, if somebody like CoBank could now give you a performance bond, they could give you a very cheap one. I don't, I, and I have no idea if they're interested in doing that. But the point is, there are entities who could do this, who could make it work for folks at least subsets of folks. Like mm -hmm. I, I could see someone like them all of a sudden making this easy for co-ops. That's an example of something that might right. happen. Because um, this now opens the door to somebody getting more creative. It couldn't get creative before. It was a letter of credit from a certain kind of bank and a story. So now there is some creativity here. The, so, little, guy, the little guy, Alan, who's our buddy who comes on here, he's, this isn't going to help him with it. Um, so the little, little ISPs is, are not going to be helped by this. So. The uh, for people who this is your first time watching the show, you should hear Travis ask his uh, key question, which is uh, reflecting upon this. Travis, uh, who do you think is going to go after all this money? I'm really I'm waiting for this. Come on, come on, Travis. Well, I'm, waiting. I'm sure I'm, I'm pretty sure he's changed his opinion. Yes. Yeah, I mean all all the big guys they're going to go after it. <laughs> Would you go after it, Travis? Well, I, Would, I, are you going to go after any of this money? Oh, heavens no. Are you, Kim? <laughs> I mean, I can't say that I'm the definitive answer, but um, the, uh, the my gut is no. My gut feeling is no, that we're not going to go after any of it. No, but, no, no. But Utah is pretty much covered. I mean, I don't know what you're seeing up there in Minnesota of coverage. Oh, it's the mil it's my favorite is all the million dollar cabins around the lakes that are getting fiber now. And we can't get any help to help the people in urban 
metro area, but that's a whole nother conversation for a future episode. It is. And like, there's also like, I mean, entire counties yeah. that are being left out and here in Minnesota, we got Lesseur where, you know, some of the shenanigans from uh, private ISPs, uh, in this case, wireless ones that were overstating their coverage. The state of Minnesota did not do a good job of actually tracking that down when it could make a difference. And so uh, there's a bunch of locations where people don't have service and they probably won't get bead funding. So right. it's kind of sad. Yeah. Um, so on that, I want to then, first of all, I do want to say like, this is, you know, this is improvement. Um, and then one thing that's related to it, which is also really frustrating is, uh, there is no movement on, um, you know, we talked earlier about whether or not ACP will get some more money. There is no movement on removing, uh, the tax on awards, uh, under the current tax law, uh, we will be taxing broadband awards at 20%. And that is true of for-profit entities, as well as co-ops that have certain structures that are taxable. So, um, this is counterproductive. I think it is stupid. Uh, it actually works in my favor as someone who encourages municipal networks and things like that, but I still don't like bad policy. And I, I will hang this firmly on the door of Congress. Uh, you know, we have a Congress that is totally broken. Uh, we have, and no one turns in for my political opinion, so I'll keep this brief, but um, I study this stuff closely. And um, we have a political party that uh, is totally unable to do anything and is uh, not really paying much of a price for it. Uh, they broke the tax code in 2017, I think it was, when they took it not seriously at all to um, to change the tax code. They started taxing these awards. And uh, apparently no single senator uh, wants to tax this, but they cannot find a way to remove the tax. Uh, so it's just it's just frustrating to watch. And uh, and it's dumb, uh, unnecessary. But I feel like a whole bunch of people aren't going to vote based on that. They're going to vote based on who pisses them off more. So um, that's where we're going. Uh, that's yeah, what we're going to get to a rant it's, today. And it's not just the broadband grants. It's the grants for all the other stuff that were covered by IHA. They're all taxable. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Let's not always be the critic. They made moves in the letter of credit. So I think we have yes. to give kudos where kudo, kudos are deserved because we've said that they're not going to touch it. Nobody's going to move it. And they did make some concessions when they've held pretty strong to their line to this point. So um, kudos to NTIA, and uh, I appreciate any kind of movement in this direction. Right, and to be clear, and just as your, your daily civics lesson, NTIA is uh, not Congress. They're an executive agency. They, uh, they're they making the rules on this. They can change them. Uh, often, they do not want to change them once they've made them, um, uh, and that is different from uh, Congress. So Congress totally broken. NTIA uh, is uh, fixing something. So um, that is our hope for the day, I suppose. Um, the digital discrimination is up. Uh, the FCC uh, is required to act on digital discrimination, which had been known as redlining. I am on the record as saying that I think redlining is a really bad name for this issue. This gets right at what Travis was just talking about, which is that there are, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, 15 to 30 million households in often in, in uh, dense areas, uh, cities, suburbs, who are not well served by the existing services. Sometimes uh, they don't have access to advanced uh, faster services on a faster cable or um, fiber optic system. And sometimes they just don't have a device or the skills or the affordability to be able to access it for whatever reason. Um, and the FCC is supposed to be developing a, pl a plan to deal with this. Uh, I don't feel like any of us are super enthusiastic about what we saw coming out. And to be honest, we went in 
thinking that they didn't have a whole lot of opportunity to really do much. Uh, so, Doug, what can you tell us about what's happening there? Well, first off, they have to do something by November 15th because that's what the law said they have to do. So right. Also, happen. let's just also be yes. clear that there is no like FCC police who will like come lock them no. up. NTIA was required to distribute funds to the tribes two years ago, and some of those tribes right. got their money this summer. So, you but know, they said, but they said they are. But they said they are going to come out with something. So they've gotten comments from the whole world, and there's two big bodies of thought. And if you read the comments, they're all legalese and lawyers. They're a little hard to read, but it boils down to is the discrimination intentional or is the discrimination what they call disparate market discrimination, meaning you didn't mean to discriminate, but by gosh, look what happened. You did discriminate. Can I, so, can I ask, Doug, I think yes. a different way of describing that is if we look at, and I'm just going to pick on AT&T here because of the Ohio example. In Cleveland, AT&T very clearly refused to invest for over um, about 20 years. This is documented right. in certain neighborhoods. Yeah. Is there an email or evidence trail in which AT&T says, we are not investing there because screw those black people or you know, insert your, your group of people here? Uh, or... Did they not invest there simply because those areas didn't have a whole lot of opportunity for return on investment? And and that's the two different things that, that the FCC is looking that's at. That's the right? two different things they're looking at. And unfortunately, good luck finding that email chain from 18 years ago. <laughs> uh, the fact is, there probably is emails that say that, if you really want to know the truth. But go, good luck ever finding them. Right? We're not accusing AT&T <laughs> of being that racist. But at, in a lot of these companies, there are people that have reprehensible are, views. Yes, but... The FCC seems to want to split the difference, and you can't really do that. They're kind of saying, um, we'll take anyone's challenge on this, and we will decide on a case-by-case -case basis. Is what they're that's what they preliminary said they might decide. And all that's going to mean is we're going to see 500 p claims going to the FCC, and that's where they can delay them. They can just never act on those complaints. So because they're going to be... I mean, this is this is a Solomon's ruling here. These are like challenging. How, how do you decide in a city whether it was on purpose or unintentional? That that's the kind of thing that you can never prove in a court, right? So right. Well, I mean, so, I, and I, so if they don't pick one or the other, and they say we'll do it on a case by case basis, they'll probably never pick. They'll probably never ever come out and penalize somebody and call it intentional. And now, according to the the way that the rules were written in the in the legislation, this can be retroactive. You can be penalizing folks for what they did do 18 years ago. So, I mean, this could get really interesting if if the FCC suddenly started ruling that AT and T did discriminate in Cleveland. I mean, I mean, this is our whole new ball game that no one's ever seen anything like it before. Kim just leaned uh, forward, so I'm curious. But I'm yeah. like, what's what's the chances of them actually going oh. after them? They're not going to go after AT&T. Yeah, chances are. No, you know what they're going to do? This is very much like the NCAA. You know, Ohio State breaks all the rules, so they're going to penalize, you know, Cleveland State. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what's going to happen. So I was like, this is, is great. Nailed. Travis is going to get nailed, not Well, that's and that's the issue. I mean, I do want to I want to touch on this because we've I've talked about this before regarding smaller ISPs, which is to say that like if you have a small ISP that is building out in a city and they are starting in certain neighborhoods and they are uh, moving through the city, um, that is a different situation that should have a different set of rules than if you have a super well-capitalized company that is deciding to invest in upgrades in 60% of the city and not investing in the other 40%. 
Uh, and, and that's where the FCC has a hard time trying to figure out how to make rules that actually fit because different circumstances should have different nuances attached to them. Right. But I was just looking at a whole lot of cities in Texas just as for somebody. And, and I, we found cities where it, it's, it's literally what you would expect. Literally on the wrong side of the tracks, there's no fiber. And on the right side of the tracks, there's fiber. And these are big ISPs who have done it, right? Um, but if a little guy did that, it's still discrimination. And so that's how do you how do you rule on this sort of thing? So I, you know, it very when you look at the map, it takes about thirty seconds ago. They discriminated. You know, they did not go to the poor neighborhoods. So, um, I mean, it's it's clear as a bell. Uh, I want to hear it, Travis, I, I, but I st I still don't see them acting on it. So yeah, Travis. <clears throat> Um, I, I don't know. I don't have much of a comment other than, you know, you've got to build out where you can, you know, you get a return, you know, where, where there's demand for your product, no matter what product you have, if it's internet or anything. And sadly, some areas don't have as much of a demand, but ironically, it's not the areas that everyone would think. Right. It's very challenging and expensive, and you do not get your return building out in the very wealthy, wealthy neighborhoods. Because of the right, I mean, literally, the state of California is getting ready to subsidize connections to Oprah's house and neighbors right now. I think. Yeah, that, and that, and they're, you know, it's 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 the middle, you know, eighty percent of the economy is where all of our of, of your opportunity is, and everyone right. thinks it's oh well, we're we're we're. We're redlining the very, very, you know, financially challenged. It's like, I'd rather go there than go to the very wealthy areas. Because so, it probably has a quarter mile or a half mile long driveway. And that's exactly, really exactly. Yes. Right. Kim, but, but, no, but nobody cares. Well, I think if you, don't, is, if you don't service Oprah, nobody cares. And they'll well, I think this is where you have to, this is where I always struggle with people of saying you have to have a communications and expensive marketing plan, according to Doug, because you have to be able to combat this communication strategy of why you're making these business decisions to the public, right? Because people are going to take whatever you're doing and create their own narrative around it until you have to say, this is why we're doing it. At Utopia, back in the days where nobody thought we would ever survive, we had to go and only do business for a long time in order to make um, the operation work in order to go build out um, to the residents. But people don't understand that and we can't expect them to understand that. So we have to communicate that to them and why we're doing what we're doing as operators too, though, Travis, I think. Yeah, but but no, but the, the hardcore activists, they don't. Oh, yeah. They, they literally you could you could give it to them in black and white the math. They don't care. No, that's well, right. That. That's right. I mean, there's, there's a group of people yeah. who are convinced that you can make money serving just the lowest income folks, not recognizing that, that you have higher operating expenses for those areas and you have much less revenue. You have the issues with collections that Travis has talked about before. It's the hardest way to earn money. Um, this gets into what I think is just that we're not taking it very seriously to actually solve this problem. Um, you know, one of the issues that I've had with the term redlining is that redlining was developed when banks drew a circle and then they refused, or the federal government also, but they refused to then do business in there. And uh, the solution, more or less at the time, was let's force the banks to, to do business in there and reinvest in there. Uh, and um, that's one approach. Although I'll note that it hasn't really resulted in that community yeah. being well served by financial institutions. No, it, um, never, it never solved the problem. 
forcing AT&T to build into low-income communities is not going to get more people online. We need to recognize that this is a different challenge. It's a problem of poverty. It is not a problem of technology, and we need different tools to go in there. We need local governments to take it seriously. We need state governments to take it seriously. We need the federal government to take it seriously. But we get back to what Travis said, which is that we are putting you know, $42.5 billion into mostly rural networks after we've already spent $100 billion on rural networks over the past 30 years. Um, and so, I mean, I think you could plausibly say more than $150 billion over 30 years, over 35 years, if you count the future here. Um, and on rural networks, how much have we put into urban networks where there's actually more people who are not currently well-served? There's practically nothing. And uh, and there's not, this is not going to be a solution of like case by case from the FCC. If we want to take this seriously, I fundamentally think, I mean, I'm at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, you can read it on the lower left right there. So this isn't much of a surprise, but like we need cities to actually take it seriously and to like, you know, whether they're partnering with someone like Travis, whether they're doing something themselves or even working with a big company, they need to test out some, some approaches to actually making sure these communities are served, learning lessons, iterating on it, and let's move forward with it. But like, just trying to like punish companies for not having solved this problem, which is one of poverty and not technology, is not super helpful to actually moving us forward, I think. It's even worse because they're not going to punish anybody. This is going to be a giant forum for finger pointing. That's all it up, is. And it'll end up with nothing actually being changed. Mm -hmm. So, But it allows people to air their grievance. And, and uh, that's what I think is probably going to be the end result of this. The FCC is going to get flooded with these grievances but they're never going to make rulings that punish ISPs. That's and bad. I would like to say that these cities who are partnering with whoever make put it in writing in the contract of what you want in this aspect, because cities, these entities you're partnering with are not going to have the same values or morals or whatever that you do. So make sure it's in writing to protect yourself if you want this when you're partnering um, with some of these entities and what your main goal is. Because a lot of people just assume that when they say we're building out Smithville, that they're going to build out all of Smithville. Doesn't mean they are. You have to right. make sure that even it's they, writing. And even if they are agreeing it, one of the things we've found from cities is, and we've learned this from the franchises, is that once a company signs a franchise, and this is generally true of the bigger companies, not the smaller ones, then, you know, they're like, all right, let's work it out in court. How do you feel about that, Joe City? You know, and the city's right. like, well, we don't want to spend money on lawyers to work this out in court. We'll just let you get away with it. And that's and what that, happened. Well, the, and, the, and the giant ISP has 100 lawyers. Like, go ahead, take us on. Right. Yeah, it's gross. And I mean, and I just feel like there's a lot of people who really, you know, feel strongly about resolving this. But I think strategically, this is just not the best path forward. Uh, we need to expect more from local governments. And I, you know, I don't think there's a path to solving this in most places in five years. Uh, you know, I think this is something where we need some cities like Cleveland, uh, for instance, like Los Angeles County and city who are who are, I think are thinking about this more than others. We need them to lead the way, and then we need to document those and raise those lessons up, and hope that other cities take it seriously. But yeah, I mean, what it, happened to op optimistic Chris? What happened to optimistic yeah. Chris? I'm not. I don't know what's happening right 160 now. $160 billion dollars <laughs> happened to optimistic Chris. I mean, to be fair, to be fair here, nobody wanted this. The FCC didn't want this. Congress, somebody in Congress, snuck this into the IAJA. I mean, nobody wanted this thing. I mean, the ISPs didn't want it. FCC didn't want it. Here we got it. So, yeah. Any closing comments on that subject, Travis? No, I, I think it's just, it's, it's would be very 
interesting to see a major metropolitan area, somebody with political will that tries to go and, and run this broadband issue down the down the down the chain because every time I've been to a major city, they've got a hundred other issues that broadband doesn't even they, they look surprised when I bring up that maybe you guys should consider a broadband alternative. They always figure this was already figured out. So, I mean, yep. it's, it's, it's pretty rare that somebody's, you know, willing to actually, they'll all talk about it, but they're really interested. Uh, be interesting to see if anyone actually writes a check. Yep. I think that's the issue. And I think the issue is that no one's going to get thrown out of office by ignoring the fact that 20 to 30% of the community doesn't have decent internet access and therefore has poor access to education, has poor access to economic improvement, has poor access to information for elections and all the other stuff that comes along with it. Well, let's also not forget that 100% of the people that I've worked with in the first month of doing our project in Minneapolis no longer are with the city. So there's, so there's nobody there that originally championed this. So, uh, any anything that we should end on uh, that is uh, not so much Chris is a is a downer and angry at the world. <laughs> no, I think that's a good note to go out on. I, don't I, 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 I have one. <laughs> I, have, I have one comment. I don't know if Kim is seeing the same thing in Doug. <clears throat> I think I've gotten eight to nine emails this week alone uh, from suppliers saying they have plenty of inventory. And they can ship immediately. So yes. remember, remember not so many episodes ago yes. we were talking about having a two, three, four year plan. Now you need to have a two or three or four day plan. So right. I, I'm seeing that too already. Yeah. 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 So yes, what so happened I mean, is I talked to a few vendors at the conference I was in in Minneapolis, and they said everybody bought so much. Now they're reselling it to their friends as ISPs, and nobody's actually going to the vendors to buy. Um, what they uh, manufacture during that time. So they're just sitting with a lot of stuff on the shelves right now. Oh, a, few, a few of the big ISPs actually stockpiled a whole year worth of stuff. Yep. Yeah, so that's, well, I they, feel bad they, for these guys. Yes. They, uh, these <coughs> manufacturers were gearing up for this bead money. They thought this was going to be the windfall of the industry. And as far as I can tell, how many dollars have actually been divvied out? Anything? No, I mean, we're not expecting the money to start being divvied out until next year. Um, the, and, that won't, and that won't really be construction until 25. Okay. I mean, we'll see. I'm curious. So you got states like Louisiana. They're moving so rapidly ahead. But at the same time, like, you know, Nokia's laying off people. Uh, Ericsson's laying off people, right? I mean, both wired and wireless are taking it on the chin a bit. And I think, you know, Travis would remind us it's a, about the the uh, the interest rates uh, and, and that sort of a thing. But it is fascinating how rapidly things change. But we got, I don't want to make you go down anymore, Chris, but the past experiences, grants like these take six to nine months just to negotiate the contract once you win. These are not, I mean, NTIA contracts are not going to be easy to negotiate. So, so I'm curious. So, I mean, like Louisiana plausibly will have money in the bank in Q2 next year, right? Yes. Um, the rate they're going. And so you're saying that it's going to take them still, um, they're not going to be getting the money out the door at the end of the year, you don't think, or earlier? No, they might have their awards made, but then there's a whole long process before you can actually send somebody a check. Yes. The paperwork is brutal. So, mm -hmm. yes. We'll be hearing about that a year from now. We'll be talking about it. So. 
Well, we should, that's, that just brings back optimistic Chris that he thought it was going to get out in 24. So we're well, I mean, ending this show on it. Really, I, 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 I didn't think that, <clears throat> you, I mean, I didn't expect states to be running through getting volume one approved. I mean, what do you have like 40? I think I just saw 42 states have volume one out now done. I mean, I, I would say we're running it. Maybe it's just that I'm, I'm in denial about how late in the year we are, but it seems to me like we're running ahead of schedule. <laughs> Well, the volume ones, NTIA said they don't really matter anymore. So then people just are tossing them in. Honestly, they, they, they completely downplay. They don't care what it says anymore. So, All right. Uh, what's the, we're going to turn to whose line is it anyway, right? Oh, it's the points that don't matter. I was going to say the rules don't matter. <laughs> Um, I mean, I thought that this has been, uh, this has been one of my uh, favorite shows. I mean, we've been this all over been the good. place. Yeah, it's been, uh, good topics. Um, we have, um, lots of stuff to talk about. Uh, I think we'll try to be back in, uh, two weeks and, um, and cover that more. I still want to, I got to get back on, uh, get off my butt and, uh, get, uh, some of the folks to talk about the future of wireless. We really like to get like Mike Dano on here, someone like that. And, um, and to uh, talk about the future of wireless, uh, we had a request uh, from uh, uh, our, our loyal fan earlier that um, we're just going to collapse all the people into our loyal fan um, to do a show on uh, nerding out on the networking. Um, you know, I wonder who could guest host that because I, I I could try, but I, I'm not even sure like what that looks like. I mean, maybe, Kim, we got to get your boss on here. And I was and like, that. I think Roger Timmerman would love to geek out and speak in words I don't understand for you. He's he's all in. I'll vote. I'll vote him in for you. Can we get a uh, XGS pod expert on here too? I'm struggling to make the math work. Yeah, um, yeah. I just I just visited two XGS pond builds last week in uh, Colorado. That was super cool. Uh, so I'd love to talk more about XGS pond. Okay, because I, I I man the maintenance costs on some of these platforms are unbelievable. So I'd be curious. Where Kim and I are all active e, so there isn't really much maintenance. So. And Mike asked for a show on IXPs. I feel like we've covered that in the past, so I'd like to know how to do that differently. Um, I'd like to uh, do uh, do that sort of a thing. Uh, we did talk about Doxis, but that's been maybe a little bit outdated now, and so maybe things have changed. Um, but uh, yeah, keep uh, keep the ideas coming, and we will see what we can do with them. Uh, also, uh, if you are listening to this in the audio version, we've realized there's a lot more audio listeners than we thought. Uh, the video version is great. You get to, to stare at us. You see what shirt Doug is wearing every week. Um, you know, also Travis, those are different shirts sometimes, but they all look the same. What about <laughs> so, my glasses? What about my glasses? Yeah, we haven't made a big deal about your glasses for a while, Kim. Kim's got glasses. Oh. We're pumpkin spice twins today. So, um, you know, there's lots of things to look at. Uh, Rise occasionally makes fun of me with the banners. Um, we got a, a an eel in front of Doug an right eel. now. The second an eel. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> thank you everyone for, for tuning in. It's a great chat room this week and, uh, we will be back in about two weeks. Uh, but thank you, Kim, Doug, Travis, Rye behind the scenes. It's been another fun episode of connect this. Yeah.